What's one thing you like most about yourself? I think I like that I don't overthink things. I think it could probably be seen as a negative <laughs> by some people, but I'm just really pretty straightforward. I know kind of what I think and what I like, and I tend not to overthink anything. Tell us your favorite hobby or pastime. Definitely surfing. It's a family hobby and pastime and something I really enjoy doing with the kids and with Michael. Describe your breakfast routine in your home. Breakfast is, we take it very seriously in our family. I think that must be the American in us. We all, it's a very kind of a time where we all come together and sit down and eat breakfast together. And I usually make a porridge every morning. Michael makes the coffee. Yeah, it's, it's a time where we're all together and it's one of my favorite times of the day, actually. What is your favorite outdoor activity? This might be surfing or maybe yeah. something else. <laughs> yeah, again, that's definitely surfing. I think just any time we're at the beach, we're, we're really happy as a family. I don't know, it could be that a stressful day or tensions could be high within our family or kids could be cranky, whatever. But as soon as we get to the beach, it just seems to dissipate and everyone seems to get along. And we really just, yeah, we enjoy it. What is one thing you cannot live without besides our favorite humans? <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> Definitely, I'm a, I'm a sunshine girl. Living in London for 12 years, I think I really struggled with that. And now that we're here in Australia, it's something that I don't take for granted. Hey guys, Tedra here. So today on the podcast, Julie and I are chatting with Courtney Adamo. She is the wife to Michael and the mother of their five beautiful children. In this episode, she tells the story of how after living in London for 12 years, she longed for a slower-paced life, and after a few solid nudges to Michael, they decided on a gap year of traveling the globe. She tells how this ultimately led to their permanent relocation to Byron Bay, Australia, that not only allows for that slower-paced life, but also gives them the beach access to live out their new family passion, which is surfing. Professionally, Courtney found success with her international lifestyle website for Modern Moms, Baby Chinos, which basically curates the best online boutiques and puts them all in one place. Also has loads of great blog content for moms as well. She's co-authored the book, Nine Months. It's a month-to-month guide to pregnancy for the family to share. And she has an ever-increasing followership on Instagram. After our chat, we spoke off air with Courtney for a second, and she wanted to make sure she expresses that her life is filled with the same ups and downs that a lot of women experience. It's not all perfect and sunshine all the time. She's faced with the same realities that all moms and parents have while raising a family. You know, for some of us, I think it's really easy to look at Courtney's life and start the comparison game. But instead of comparison, let inspiration be the takeaway. I think being inspired by someone's life allows for forward thinking and motivation to enact positive changes in little or big ways in your own life. So we hope that's your takeaway today, and we really hope you enjoy this conversation. You're listening to the We Get to Know podcast, and for years we've all been following some of the most inspiring creatives, innovators, social media influencers, and bloggers. Simply put, we get inspired. The next best thing to following our favorite people is hearing their stories straight from them. So listen in as we get to know Courtney. Okay, Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. I followed you for a while now, and so I've got lots of questions to <laughs> dig into. But I want to touch on what you were just talking about in the quick start questions is your love of surfing. And I was curious, have you always been a surfer? Have you had access to that? Or is that something that's new since you've been in Australia? No, it's definitely new. We, none of us had, well, Michael had surfed years and years ago when he lived in LA, but after 12 years in London, we had never, 
he hadn't done that for 12 years and I never surfed and the kids had never surfed. We took our first surf lesson when we were in Brazil as part of our round the world travels. So we left London, sold our house, sold all of most of our belongings and embarked on this year long round the world trip. One of the first countries we visited was Brazil and it was there that we hired this really cute little local surf coach and he gave the kids their first lesson and it's funny how that ended up shaping the you know year to come as we became more and more interested in surfing and obsessed with it. Yeah, so, and I really, I think the kids and Michael got into it quite quickly and I, you know, every once in a while would go out and just mess around but never really properly surfed. I was more, you know, happy just to sit on the sand and watch them in the ocean. And, and then we moved here to Byron Bay two years ago and obviously surfing was a reason we decided to move here. But that... Again, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's a surf town and, and one of the reasons that this little town gets put on the map and lots of people visit here. And so again, the, my kids and Michael were, you know, pretty avid surfers, especially the boys. But it wasn't until about a year ago that I really took a couple lessons myself and then just got hooked. So I've been surfing now for about a year and really can't imagine how I ever didn't do it. <laughs> I love that. I mean, yeah. anything too, like you're five kids in and, yeah. you know, it's like taking up a new hobby or a yeah. new sport and most people were like, oh no, I'm not going to, but I love that you dove in and went for it. Well, it was just so funny because, you know, I was sitting on the beach watching them and, and you, there is something about surfing. When you come out of the water and back up onto the beach, there is, you, there's a high that you have, you know, you, it's, I don't know whether it's, you know, the adrenaline or, the, you know, whatever it is, but it, you know, I guess any kind of exercise does that to you. But I was sitting there watching all my family just have this passion for something and be, they'd be so happy when they'd emerge from the ocean. And I just thought I have to get into this. <laughs> I can't just sit there and watch it any longer. So also, you know, it's a really wonderful opportunity to just be on your own. And I think after having the fifth baby and sitting on the beach and nursing a baby and, you know, watching the kids, it, I knew that it was a chance for me to be able to get out in the ocean and have time just to myself. Okay. So I want to back up a little bit and let's go back to like the history of your own family. When I, when I say that, I mean your immediate like birth family. Where did you grow up? Like, where were you born? So I was born in a little farming town about an hour north of Seattle, hour south of Vancouver, Canada. So kind of the very northwest corner of America towards the, the, you know, not far from the water. And what was your, like, I mean, what's your family life there and your siblings and how many and all that kind of stuff? My dad is one of 10 kids. And so nine of those kids lived in this town and went on wow. to have kids of their own. So I grew up, I'm the eldest of five kids and I had about 30 cousins all living in that small town. Yeah. So, so, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and siblings, and we were raised on a farm and my dad's a tulip farmer along with his four brothers. And yeah, I mean, it was a lot of time spent outside and running around and, you know, kind of getting into all sorts of adventures and, you know, outdoor fun and, um, it, it must be fun. Quite a simple, uh, you know, wholesome upbringing. It must be fun growing up on a farm like that with, I mean, all of your cousins to run, run around. And I, when I grew up, 
up until the age of seven was when we moved away. But I grew up in the country in Indiana and in Auburn, a small town. And I, all my cousins, we, they all lived on the same street and we would like get together and go to the barns and make mud pies and mm. you know, do yeah. all these fun things. So it was yeah. kind of idyllic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really, it's a pretty lucky way to grow up. And, and I had aunts and uncles always there to support me. I remember even in high school, if I got in an argument with my dad or, or whatever, I always knew there was, you know, another family that would welcome me and I could go and I could talk to one aunt or an uncle or, or whomever, you know, and, and just having that kind of support system surrounding me, it, it was, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty beautiful way to, to, to grow up. It's funny because our, my kids are having the exact opposite <laughs> upbringing. So did you grow up there all the way through school then? Yeah, so I grew up in that town up until I was 18, and then I went away to I went to Northwestern University, which is just north of Chicago in a little town called Evanston. And so I went there for four years, and then after graduating from Northwestern, I moved to L.A., and then shortly after that met Michael, and two months later we were in London. So I haven't actually <laughs> been, you know, home, lived in, in that area since I was 18. What what did you major in college? What was your plan for your life? My well, I well, I'm the old, eldest child, so and I think it's quite typical of eldest children. But I I grew up kind of always knowing what I wanted to be, and I always had a plan. So I I wanted to be a journalist, and Northwestern has a really great journalism school. And I think from the time I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, I I knew I wanted to go to Northwestern. I I applied early admissions there and thankfully got in and yeah and and, that, and I thought that I wanted to be a, a journalist and actually ended up majoring in um, broadcast journalism which I have done nothing with but I do use my journalism degree today yeah so you head out to LA I guess for career prospects I yep. assume yeah part of the program at Northwestern is to spend a term working you know out of you know you have to go live in somewhere else and work um and because I was majoring in broadcast journalism, you, it often meant that you go to a small town and, and often they were Midwest towns. So it was like, you know, there was a couple of towns like Ohio and Indiana and these little tiny towns where you could go and work for um, one of the t- local TV stations. And I just didn't want to go live in a small town. So I begged my professor to find me a job in L.A. And he found me this job working for this sports documentary program and so I went to LA and spent a term there and then continued staying there for the summer I went to UCLA summer school so then I went back for my senior year of college and knew I wanted to move back to LA as soon as I graduated so so that's what I did and then I met Michael the the day that I got there (laughs) with the day that you moved back to LA you you met him yeah where did y'all meet so he's the eldest of seven kids, and I was. <laughs> yeah. His younger brother went to college with my cousin Brent, who was one of my closest friends growing up, and so I knew his Michael's family and had met all of his family and had never met him. So when I got to LA, I contacted Robbie, and we all were going out for dinner, and I just met Michael that way because he came along, and I had a crush on him from the minute I met him. Oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> so I guess you'll start dating right away if you end up in London in a couple months. <laughs> it took me, so he he's 11 years older than I am. And it took him, I think he just didn't at all even consider that I could be a possible 
girlfriend. <laughs> Meanwhile, I had the biggest crush on him for about two months. And so it took me about two months to just tell him I had a crush on him. And that from there, we started dating. But then it was just about a month later that we went on holiday together to London. And he went and had a meeting with a company in London that specializes in animation production, which is what he does. And he was offered a job. And so he came back to the hotel after having this meeting and said, I've been offered a job here. And I said, great, I've always wanted to live here. <laughs> and, um, and he just kind of looked at me like, you crazy woman, I can't believe you want to move here with me. And I just kind of made him include me. So how long into your relationship was that? Just, well, we started dating in May and that was in July. Um, so I guess two months. Yeah, so we've been dating for two months and then we moved to London. And I think he was slightly apprehensive at how quickly it was all going. But, you know, I've just, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm, like I said in the quick answers, I'm not someone who overthinks things. And it just felt right. And I knew that, you know, I knew that I wanted to be with him and didn't want to let him go to London without me. And, and you know, it was a really exciting opportunity to go live in Europe and travel around and yeah and so and obviously it all worked out <laughs> um, we, oh, we moved to London I, I took two suitcases with me he moved kind of a bit more properly packed some boxes and had them shipped over and we rented this tiny little one-bedroom flat in central London and, and we thought we'd be there for a year I mean he signed a one-year kind of contract and I thought oh this will be great you know I'll just we'll live in this tiny little flat I have my two suitcases of clothes what more do you need and and that ended up being 12 years and four children and quite a... I mean, what a whirlwind. I mean, it's so romantic to think. I mean, I'm sort of like following along in my head thinking, <laughs> oh, you're in your early 20s and you've just like smitten with this guy and you take off to Europe. That is, I love it. I love thinking <laughs> yeah. about that. So, okay, so you end up in London and then what happens? I mean, so you just said four kids, 12 years, but let's back up a little bit. Like what, did you um, work while you were there? Did you think... I mean, I guess after it became more serious than just a one-year stay, you decided to make it like your permanent home. Yeah. Michael had a um, work visa that allowed him to be there for the year. And I just sort of came and, you know, came and went. So it wasn't totally there legally for that first year. And then I got a work visa to be there. And then we fell pregnant like a month later. So that's us having been there for just over a year. And at that point, I think we thought, okay, let's give it one more year here. And then I got pregnant. And then we ended up getting married when I was eight months pregnant and went back, you know, and we got married in Seattle on the farm where I grew up and, and then went back to London and had a baby. And I don't know, somehow we ended up staying there for, for 12 years. And, and I think in my head, I just never really thought, I always thought it was a temporary thing. I guess when you think it's temporary, then there's sort of no rush to leave, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it was this really weird happening. thing. I mean, I think a lot of people in London live like that because it's really a transient place and, it, you know, a lot of expats are there and they're brought there for work and they think, oh, it'll be a year, it'll be two years. And, you know, and often it is for some people. And actually for us, you know, being there for 12 years is quite a long stint for most expats in London. But yeah, you do, you feel this kind of, maybe it was just me, but I never really felt like that was home. It always just felt like, an adventure. And, you know, and, and also probably culturally, it wasn't, it didn't speak to me as my home. That's interesting. We loved it. And we had a really great life there. And we really enjoyed the traveling we did. And you always knew you'd be probably moving on somewhere But I else always there. kind of, yeah. And I think Michael, he could have been happier to, 
have considered that his forever home. But I just, there was just this niggling feeling in, in me all along and it kind of gradually built up and, and, um, but I just never felt that was my home. It wasn't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny because I look back on those years really fondly, but yeah, it was, was happy to, to, to go somewhere else after that. So then when you guys decided to leave, was it a hard decision? I mean, four kids, that's a big move regardless, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I mean, we, well, that's the thing, you know, after 12 years, we were really settled there. We had recently bought and renovated a home and were really happy there. Our kids were in a really great school that we really loved and, you know, it was quite hard to get them in. And Michael had a great job and I had a great job and, you know, on paper, everything was great. But I just, like I said, it never felt really like my home. And I also just had this feeling that we'd be happier as a family living a simpler life. You know, I mean, living in London, you're, it's great for, for, for these same reasons, but it's fast paced. It's expensive. You're working super hard to be able to afford that life. And, you know, we were sending our kids to a private school that was really expensive. We were having to work hard to be able to afford that. And, and, you know, you, you do have those kind of pressures on you that city life brings, but yeah, at a certain point, I just kept saying, I think, you know, I think we'd really, and, you know, maybe it, it has a lot to do with having grown up um, on a farm and quite a simple way, but I just wanted more for our family. And we would do this thing where we, you know, we'd put the kids to bed and we'd have dinner at night, Michael and I, and we'd sit there and we'd have our glass of wine. And I'd say, you know, maybe, maybe life would be easier and simpler in New Zealand. So those were sort of the beginning stages of maybe the conversations of what ended up being your gap year. Is that right? That's or right. is that sort yeah. of how it started? Yeah, exactly. So we started talking about, you know, yeah, where could we live as a family? Where would we be happy? And I think after you've lived in a city as wonderful as London with the kind of cultural aspect and the great food and the interesting people and all of that, it's quite difficult to consider life in a smaller town or in a simpler place without all those things. And so we just kept throwing out ideas of where could we live, but still have those, you know, elements that we love so much about London. And then we started, so the wheels kind of were put in motion for us to start considering life in a, you know, outside of London somewhere else. And, and, you know, the idea for the, the gap year is something I've spoken about with Michael since I met him. It was, I think it's been in my head since I was a little girl when our neighbors, the family living next to my grandparents, actually, they took a year off. They had three young girls around my age and my sister's age, and they took a year off and went and traveled around the world. And I remember when they came back, they were so changed. One of the girls was my age. I think I was around 10. She had a younger sister and an older sister, and they were just so smart and so worldly and they had such fun stories of being in New Zealand and I remember them telling me a story about being in Italy and about the food they had eaten and you know when you grow up in this tiny town in America immediately I was I I was like I want that that's what I want you know and and they had photos and all these really amazing stories and I just thought someday I want to go travel around the world that's what I want and Incredible how that had an impact on you. I mean, at that age, it would seem fascinating because you're like, what? The world just wasn't at your fingertips like it is now, you know, as far as like being able to see it happen. So to have someone that you know go through that and then leave that imprint in you. That's right. I mean, in photos, you know, back then there was no Instagram and Facebook and all these photos we can see everywhere of this world, you know, but they had these printed photos of their trip. And I just, 
I, I so remember looking at them with them and just being so fascinated that all these places existed in the world and how big our world is. And I think even from then I had this, I, this kind of really almost, I don't, I can't explain it, but it was like, oh my gosh, our life is, our lives are so short and there's all these places in this world to see. Better get to it. <laughs> Better get to it. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, when I met Michael, I told him I really wanted to do this someday when we had kids and I wanted to take them and travel around the world and do that kind of experience. So that was something that we've spoken about and we talked about it. You know, it was never really the right time. It was either, you know, not the right time for Michael and his career or not the right time for me or all the kind of myriad of reasons why it's not the right time. And all of a sudden, it was actually Michael. We were going to bed at night. We were t- kind of having this discussion of, well, where where should we move? And what, you know, can we, what, what should we do? And he literally just sat up in bed and looked at me and, and said, let's sell the house and go travel for a year. I, I just remember because it was, it was really me that kept wanting to do that and kept uh-huh. raising that, that topic. And, and for those words to have come out of his mouth, I mean, I literally had, I made him repeat himself. I was like, are you sure? Promise. You know, and we literally went to the estate agent the next day and put our house on the market. And, and wow. from there, we, we just never, never looked back. That's amazing because you just renovated a home in London and then just to like think about selling it. I guess it worked out. Probably they'll have it nicely renovated, give you a little money to sell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. it. That, that allowed us to, you know, we did. We sold our house. We sold a lot of our belongings and we had that a little bit of a financial cushion from that. And that's what we were able to go and spend a year traveling. So then what did it look like logistically to actually plan out or uh, start the trip? Like, you know, what, what were you thinking? Where did you want to head first? I know you mentioned that you like took off to Brazil. You were surfing there or? Yeah. So Brazil was one of our first places. So first we headed to America just to visit family, which is kind of what we would do every summer. So the kids would get out of school in July and we'd go and spend six weeks of the summer with our families. And so that's what happened. So the kids got out of school in July. We flew to America we spent about a month with our families and then we did a road trip through California and visited some of the beautiful national parks and went and visited Michael's family from there. And then from there, from LA, we flew to Brazil. So Brazil was sort of the first country, you know, foreign country to us because the rest of, you know, the previously that was all quite familiar and in a country we knew quite well. And so Brazil was our first that was that was the first bit and and so we we went from there we spent three months in South America. Had you ever been to South America? No, we hadn't and and that was I think a big reason why we wanted to go and the reason we were in Brazil was this little tiny town called Trancoso had been highly recommended to us from one of my really good friends in London who has done a lot of traveling with her family. And, you know, when there's someone you know, and you trust, and she said, I, you won't regret it. This is somewhere you have to go. And so we went there first. And, and what we did in sort of deciding where to go and deciding how long to be was we knew we wanted to spend a minimum of three weeks in each place so that it would allow us to get to know the people and, you know, the community and the place and the language and the food and, and also to kind of keep us more settled instead of kind of going, going, going with the four kids constantly. So in planning that trip, we actually um, bought round the world tickets and then you have to decide on your locations, but you can later then change the dates of your travel, but you, you're kind of more committed to the destination. So so I guess like the format of our trip, the kind of destinations were decided, you know, months before we actually started traveling. And then we just decided to spend at least three weeks in each place. 
And then the idea that y'all, or that your kids and your husband took surfing lessons while you were down there. And then that caused this like love and passion. Yeah. Do you think you ended up like living where you are now? If that, if like, what if he had been like, let's go scuba diving? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's crazy because it all really led to where we are now. You know, I mean, when we were in Brazil, that's where they started surfing. And then the next country we went to Uruguay. We spent a month in Uruguay and, and that's where we kind of bought the first surfboards and the wetsuits and we were in little surfing towns in Uruguay. And so we started surfing kind of almost every day. And from there we were kind of hooked and, and we were supposed to go spend a couple of weeks in Buenos Aires. And, and then perhaps we were considering traveling throughout Argentina. And, and we made this kind of last minute decision to spend less time in Argentina and more time in Chile. So we went, we looked up in Chile, we looked up where we could go like a little surf town and we found this town called um, Pichilemu. And that was sort of the beginning of this trip turning into a, you know, surfy type of vibe. So we then went to this little town, Pichilemu, and we had this really beautiful surf coach and he ended up becoming a friend and coming over for dinner every night and giving us tours of the land and introducing us to friends. And it was just, and then surfing during the day. And it was just really beautiful. And the kids loved it and Michael loved it. And, you know, I, I loved it because I was sitting on a beach and watching them all be really happy. And, and so, yeah, so it's really interesting because that wasn't the intention of this whole trip. But as we traveled, you know, even in Uruguay, we, we thought, could we live here? And, and, you know, Uruguay is actually one of those countries that we considered moving to. We even looked at some schools and we looked at, you know, property prices and talked to a lot of people, you know, could, is this somewhere we could live in? And, and when we left there, it was definitely a consideration for, for, for somewhere to go. Was the whole trip in the back of your head, like the whole trip for the year long, were you sort of thinking like we're going to land in one of these places that you spend time in? I think so. I mean, that that was when we were planning the trip, it was, we decided on a lot of places based on the thought that we might want to, to live there. So did you know I, that you weren't going to go back to London? I think I knew. I don't think Michael had really wrapped his head around that. I mean, I think he liked to, to keep it quite open-ended, but I, I'm, I knew that we weren't going to go back to London. And, and I, I think Michael, it only took Michael about a month before he sort of made that realization as well. I can imagine after living like a busy, fast-paced life. Yeah. Yeah. We, we sort of knew we weren't going to go back. So then it was just about trying to figure out where we were going to go. And I guess with the entire world as an option, (laughs) did you ever think about moving back to like the Pacific Northwest in the States? I had considered it, you know, I really love my family and, you know, that's a really beautiful part of America. And we obviously, you know, we'd spend our summers there and, and really loved it. But I think it's interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, I think culturally we had grown a bit beyond America. I'm not trying to put, put America down, but politically we'd kind of grown. Our views were kind of very different than Americans. And I don't know, I, there was something about... America that just didn't appeal to us and raising kids. And, you know, there's a kind of America has this kind of consumerism and this celebrity obsession and this, I don't know, which is something we had never, we had kind of managed to avoid all along. And so we just, I think we didn't, we didn't think that America was right for us, for our family. 
I can see that. And then also, I think if you're coming every summer to visit your family for a nice chunk of time, like you are, you're getting your fix. For exactly. We were, we were getting our fix and, and loved it when we were there. And, and then we, you know, I don't know, we got the kind of benefit of living elsewhere as well. So. Hey guys, we're going to pause for a minute to tell you about one of our partners. Anyone interested in 30% off the best vitamins? We know health and nutrition is important to everyone. One thing that goes hand-in-hand with our health is supplemental care. We've partnered with Dr. C Vitamins to offer you a 30% discount off their premium pharmaceutical-grade and medically-endorsed line of supplements. All vitamins are not created equal. In fact, there is no FDA oversight for supplements. Unlike over-the-counter vitamins, Dr. C supplements are manufactured without commonly found synthetic ingredients. I mean, you guys, who wants synthetics going into our bodies? They're also non-GMO and gluten-free. Their standards are so high, these vitamins are actually manufactured just like a prescription drug would be in an FDA-registered facility. Most vitamins do not subject themselves to this level of oversight. People are always asking if we take these personally, and we do. I take the D3K2 combo to support bone health, memory, mood, and immune support, and their collagen biotin that supports strong hair, nails, and skin. And then when I'm having those nights where I'm having a hard time falling asleep and unwinding, I take the melatonin B6 combo, and it really helps me gently fall asleep naturally. So give them a try, you guys. Go to drccares.com, use our code WEGETTONOW, and save 30% on your next order. Now enjoy the rest of the interview. So then how did you end up landing on Byron Bay? And are you actually in Byron Bay, or are you like in one of those communities around it? So we're in a little town called Bangalore, which is 10 minutes outside of Byron. But, you, you know, I think what's so amazing about Byron Bay is that there is Byron Bay, the town itself, and then there are, you know, five or six really beautiful little towns kind of that go in a semicircle around it. So you have the ocean, the coast, and then you have all these little towns dotted kind of north, south, and west of Byron. And it's beautiful because, you know, there's a farmer's market every day of the week in one town or the other. There's great restaurants in all these little towns. So you're not, you don't really just feel like you live in one little town. When you say Byron, you're really talking about the area and the several towns around. So, you know, whether you live in Mullumbimby or Brunswick Heads or Nuribar or Bangalore or Byron itself, you would say you live in Byron. When you landed there, did you know pretty soon that this was a place you wanted to call home? We did, yeah. I mean, I think it t- we were here two days and we'd already made good friends. And it's so beautiful here. It is so, I mean, it's just stunning. You have the beaches, which are beautiful, but then you have this really beautiful hinterland is what they call it, like which is the kind of countryside inland. And you have these rolling hills and you get a lot of rain here. So it's really green and tropical. And yet, you know, you, you also get a lot of sunshine and, and it's beyond and besides the obvious like natural beauty of this area, it's really the people here. And the fact that, you know, like I said before, having lived in a city and, and leaving behind that kind of city culture to find this tiny little town in Australia that has so much of what a city offers in terms of really interesting people, really great food. I mean, the food culture here is beyond and, you know, and so many creative people doing really interesting things. And there are so many beautiful businesses here that are based here. I mean, f- from everything from food to clothes to fashion. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy, but almost everything that we buy is from a company based here. It's, it's kind That's of incredible. Yeah. That's- 
Especially if it's a small community. I mean, it's tiny. I mean, I think Byron Bay itself has 8,000 people. Our little town, there are 2,000 people here. And in Byron Shire, so that area that includes all those towns I was just mentioning before, there's 30,000 people. I mean, that's like less than what we're, you know, on in our, in Primrose Hill, where we lived in London, in that neighborhood, you know, that's less than that. And yet all this happens here. It's incredible. It makes you wonder like what's happening there, all these creative people, like I mean, coming together, I guess, to live and do life. Well, this is it. I think people are drawn here because of this, you know, share, you know, like-minded, shared love and passion for this type of life. And I mean, it's just, it, it's, people often say to me, is it as wonderful as it seems? And, and I, I, I can't even begin to describe, to answer that. It, yeah, it's beyond. It's just, it's pretty magical. Do you see yourself staying forever? Yeah, we do. Yeah, which is a really pretty amazing feeling. Um, yeah. You know, for me, having grown up in this town, tiny town, and knowing I wasn't going to live there forever and I wanted more out of my life. And then, you know, living in London for 12 years where I knew I, it wasn't really my place, to finally feel like I live, like I'm, this is my place, you know? And yeah. I actually, even the home that we're in, I feel like I could just be old here. And, and it's, it's a pretty... Yeah, grounding, humbling feeling. So in some of my research, I saw that y'all bought a home and then you, you renovated it. How was that process? Yeah, it was, I really enjoy it. it I, we did the same in London and I really enjoyed it then. So how would you describe like your aesthetic, like for your home? It's funny because we searched for seven months for somewhere to buy and we considered living on lots of land and just kind of had all these different options open to us and I've kept looking and looking and we ended up buying a, a house just down the street from where we were renting which is quite funny it's the first home built in Bangalore so it's I think it's like 120 something 130 years old That's amazing. and it's pretty amazing because I walked in here and I was you know having lived in London for 12 years and living in those old Victorian homes and there was something about walking in this home kind of built in that same era that I just felt immediately like I was home and so in renovating, it was actually pretty easy for me because I'd already renovated old homes in London and that style, you know, that quite traditional, you know, even when you're buying taps or lighting fixtures or whatever, you know, anything, <laughs> I just, it, I kind of, it's a style that I know, you know, it's go with the traditional, looks like it's always been that way kind of look. So what's your day-to-day life look like now that you're settled in your permanent home? <laughs> well... Four of the kids are at school, so I I just have Wilkie, who's nineteen months. So I love your kids' names, by the way. Oh, oh, you're so Wilkie, and tell us the rest of them. So we've got Easton, who's thirteen, and Quinn, who's eleven. Those are two boys, and then Ivy is nine, and Marlo just turned six yesterday. Two girls, and then Wilkie is the fifth one, a little boy. And he was actually born here in, in Byron after our traveling. So he was a, a surprise, a happy surprise. <laughs> I was going to say, um, there's a bit of a gap there, right? So you said your daughter just turned six, did you say? That's right. Yeah. So we thought we were finished after four and we got pregnant in Italy during our travels and then moved here and, and then Wilkie was born here a few months later. Wow. Love that. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. And born yeah. in Australia. Sounds yeah. Charming. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful too. It's, it's funny. This, this part of, there's a, an element of a hippie kind of natural living here. Well, it's a big element actually. Everyone kind of this eco consciousness and 
Anyway, the local hospital is like a birthing center. And a lot of women here just birth at home. And it's because there is really no difference from birthing at home or birthing in this birth center. You might as well just be home. And you have to go an hour away to go to a hospital where you could get an epidural or have a C-section. And so what you get is this community of, of mothers here who just births mostly at home. And so it was quite a an interesting, having lived in London for four years and then being here where... Did you make that choice yes, to do it at home? Yeah. So it was just like... I, it, which was pretty amazing because it wasn't even something like, it was just like, that's just kind of what everyone does. And mm-hmm. it shows you the power of your community and, and surrounding yourselves by people who think a certain way and, and that effect that it has on your decision-making and the way that you live your life. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, if you tell people you birth your baby at home here, that's just, people don't even look at you twice. You know, that's just what you do. Yeah. So Wilkie was born at home and it was the most amazing, beautiful home birth with all the kids there. And yeah, anyway. Was that your first one, your first natural one? Um, first home birth, but not my first natural birth. No. Oh, okay. So you knew what was coming. I knew <laughs> what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so tell me, so you're t- describing your days, like what your days are like. So your kids, so four of them are in school. The so four of them are in school. So we wake up, you know, weekdays, we, we wake up, we, we do breakfast. Michael makes the coffee. I sort of feed the kids. He makes the lunch boxes. We get the kids dressed and, and Michael usually drives them to school. And then I stay home and, you know, clean the kitchen, vacuum the house, put a load of laundry in, get Wilkie dressed, get myself dressed. And then from there, Michael and I both work from home. So it's a matter of trying to get as much work done as we can and still kind of keep Wilkie entertained. He takes a kind of a longish nap every day. So between two and three hours. So that's sort of the time that I really, you know, doing work and and quite um, devoted to that. And then he wakes up and usually wakes up right before I have to go pick the kids up from school. And so from there, I'm just kind of in mom mode. I have tennis after school on a Monday and drama after school on a Wednesday. But the other days we're just mostly, I pick them up, we go to the beach or. How close are you to the beach? From our house, it's 10, 15 minutes. That's nice. You yeah. can access it whenever you want. Yeah. And the school's kind of halfway there already. So if I pack a beach bag and put the surfboards on the car and go get the kids from school, it's another, you know, five minutes to the beach. I mean, this is just sounding so dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> a conversation for quite a while. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your blog and your clothing line and your book and all the things you've done sort of professionally. When did your blog start? Was that sort of like was that before your trip or during or after? Oh, it's but we've had this for a long time. So we started Baby Chino eleven years ago now. So right after my second was born, so he was just a few months old, and that was started with some friends and um, Esther, who so they were friends I'd met in London who had kids the same ages as my kids, and Esther had moved recently moved to Amsterdam, um, and Emily had recently moved to Paris, and we started it as a blog as a way to stay in touch with each other and share, I made this for dinner for the kids. They ate it. You know, here's the recipe or I did this cute craft project with the kids and here's how you do it. Or I discovered this bib and it was amazing and you have to have it. And we just, it was really, and interestingly, it was, you know, this was 11 years ago and I think blogs had kind of taken off in America, but in Europe, you would say blog and people had no clue what it was. In fact, we had no clue what it was when we started. We kind of looked up, you know, how 
how do you create an online platform that you all can sign into and write things on? You know, it was like that. <laughs> um, I would say 11 years ago, like that would be a little bit before the curve here too. I mean, that was... Yeah, I mean, it, we were one of the first parenting blogs that ended up being becoming the parenting blog. And and I think what what's kind of given it its popularity is really the fact that it's been going for so long. And yeah, and we, it's funny because we just started it as like a little diary between the three of us and then um, people started reading it and you know, other blogs would link to us and it just kind of took off from there. And then after a few years of just doing the blogging and working with various brands and shops and those kind of things, we decided we needed to do something that made it a bit more of a business. So we needed to, you know, first of all, make more money from it. And secondly, you know, how do we kind of take this up a notch? So it's not just a blog. How do we do something with this? And at that time, it's interesting because there was, you know, before that, you could go shopping on the high street, you could go shopping at a department store. And that was kind of the way you shopped. And then, and then all of a sudden, and it was this really, I I'm, must have been around 2010, 2011. It, it was, there were more and more independent brands, and especially in the parenting, you know, baby children's mom's world popping up. And, and more of them would come to us and want to advertise and want to you know, a bit more exposure. And, and also equally, there was this kind of trend where moms no longer wanted to go to the department store and just buy like your average toy to give to the child at the birthday party. You know, you wanted to give something more interesting, more unique, or you wanted to buy your child something that not every other child had. And so there was this trend of wanting to, to support those independent shops and buy something different. And so we created a shopping portal where we would give these shops and brands this platform to be seen and then allow the shopper to find those shops for where to shop, where to find the really pretty things. And so that's what Baby Chino really is now. I mean, still, we still have this blog. It's still updated daily. But the business side of it is the shopping portal. And it's, you know, it's a directory of representing between 400 and 500 independent brands. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I mean, you probably were able to, especially in the beginning, four or five hundred brands. That's a lot now, but I'm sure in the beginning they maybe bring products to people that just weren't your cookie cutter product, like maybe sort a little bit more uniquely or organically. Than, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and that and that, you know, and that trend we've seen over the years. You know, people want to buy the handmade, the eco, the natural, the organic. The you know, you want to support the artisans and not just go to your high street department store and, and buy something from there. So I want to ask you a little bit too about like your Instagram Instagram account. When did you start that? And were you surprised at like the growth that's happened on there for you? Yeah. I mean, I started it. I remember it was my business partner, Esther, who said, you need to get on Instagram. And I remember thinking, what is that? I don't know what that is. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not a, I'm not an app person. I'm not a, you know, I still have a old fashioned diary and write things down and, I'm just, it's, technology is not my thing. And I remember her saying, you need to just do that. And and then I thought, okay, well, that's a fun way for me to be able to share photos with my family who live quite far away. And so I started taking photos and putting them on Instagram. And and I didn't even know that anyone could, because I don't even know if back then there was the option to make your account private, but I had no clue that just anyone could follow it. I just thought, oh, I can send it to the people I follow will see my photos. So I thought, oh, I'm just sharing these photos with my family. I mean, it sounds really pretty naive, but at, at that time I had no clue that it would, you know, I mean, I think no, none of us did, that it would become this, you know, great 
thing that it is. But really, interestingly, I still use it in almost the same way where I really think of my family when I'm putting posts up. Well, it's, it's beautiful. And I think it's a really beautiful way. Like, honestly, I think it's inspiring to see like the way that your family's living and I don't know, I'm trying to like put a word to it. Like when I first like ran across your account and hoped to actually speak to you on this podcast, but I don't know, something like I'm looking at it and it's hard for me to describe, but it's just like a, I don't know, it feels comforting and just like welcoming and family. And it's just, it's really beautiful. And I don't know, it's just nice of you to charming. Oh, well, that, I, I was asked this actually, I spoke on a panel a few weeks ago and they asked me this question and about keeping it authentic and how do you keep your Instagram feed authentic? And I, and I kind of had a thought about it as I was answering that question that really, like I said, because I think of my family and, and often I think of my sister in particular when I'm putting a photo up and not just even with the photo I put up, but with, with the text that I'm writing, you know, I, I'm almost speaking to her and I think that helps to keep, it holds me accountable for one thing. Yeah, I love that. Really I love that. I do that. Because I, she's going to see right through it if I'm, if I'm putting some BS thing up there that isn't really who I am, you know? And also I think it, it keeps it quite personal too, which people love, you know, people want to, people love seeing that personal side of, you know, I, I find the more personal I am in a post, the more engagement it receives. And obviously I don't divulge everything about my personal life, but I do think that it's interesting to kind of engage with people on that level. I've never heard anyone describe writing their captions that way. Like if you, that, it's so smart. If you think about the fact, like how would I write to my best friend or how would I write to my sister if I wanted to tell them about our day or, you know, this outing our family took, I love that. I think it keeps it really personal because you're using that conversational tone. You know, if I just put her in my head and write something, it always comes out better than if I were to think about the fact that I'm writing to 240,000 people, you know? <laughs> So what do you see for your future? I mean, you'll stay and raise your family there. What are your sort of goals for your business or professionally what you want to accomplish or maybe just more family, less business? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting because definitely having lived here, I'm, I find myself less entrepreneurial in my desires. You know, I'd love to, I have a couple of books I'd like to write completely different ones. Like one's a children's book based, you know, I'd like, cause we've Esther and I, my business partner, we've written a book about pregnancy for, for kids called nine months. And it's a pretty straight talking fact based, but you know, beautifully presented book about pregnancy and how a baby grows in, in the mother's womb. We'd like to kind of follow it up with a book about puberty and changes for tweens and teens and do that in a really kind of cool and comfortable and beautiful way that celebrates those things and so that it's not awkward for them. And, and so that's something we definitely want to do. We just have to do it. And then I'd also, I mean, there's another book I'd like to write, which is just more about kind of parenting. I mean, it's so cheesy because there's a million of these and I actually don't read parenting books or believe you should read them, but I'd like to kind of write this kind of common sense, no nonsense, you know, don't overthink it type of parenting book <laughs> but I have no I've done nothing with that but I that's sort of where I see my kind of professional life in the future I love the whole don't overthink it I mean I know that probably comes naturally to you but that's something I try to apply that in my life don't overthink it just just do it well this is the thing I think people ask me all the time what's your biggest tip for other mothers and it's really that it's don't overthink it you know don't stress about what you're what so-and-so is doing or what they said to you at the park that their child's doing and you know don't, just listen to your own child listen to what to your own instincts and trust yourself know that you, you know you're doing it the right way and 
I don't know. It's funny. I was even speaking with a girlfriend the other day and she was asking all these questions and she's so smart and she's so successful in her career. And she was, when it comes to parenting, she was asking these questions as if she doesn't know, as if she's not the smart, successful woman. And I'm thinking, why are you asking me those things? You know these answers. Don't overthink it. And she just kind of looked at me like, what? What do you mean? (laughs) We all need to trust ourselves a bit more. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to pass this off to Julie here in a second. She's going to do a quick round of um, some Ask Everyone questions. Um, but before we do, I think you might have me inspired to like cut my bangs. Like I have to just mention your bangs. I mean, you must, I don't know if people comment about your bangs or not, but I love them. You oh, pull it so off like sweet. no one I've ever seen. And it's got me thinking. I sort of have longish wavy hair. like Oh, then hair. do it. I wonder if I could pull off those bangs. Oh, you for sure could. Yes. Maybe next summer I'll try it or something. <laughs> Tedra, I'm going to stay on you with that. I think that would be a great look for you. <laughs> I know. Well, I did it um, in high Life's school. Life's too short not to do yes. things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay, Courtney, before I ask um, you some fun questions, I just want to say if my mom was coming to my school to pick me up with surf bar- surfboards <laughs> on the top of her car and a beach bag packed, I mean, I would think I'd died and gone to heaven. Uh, it's, it's, that's funny. It's, it's sometimes I've actually been surfing before I pick the kids up and I'm in a wet swimsuit with my dress over. And as I'm walking to get them, I can see my swimsuit print from underneath my dress. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll pass like my, you know, cause they're all at the same school. And so I've got my third, you know, I'm on my way to pick up the six year old and I pass the 13 year old's classroom and I can just see him kind of mortified. You know? like, <laughs> or like, I want to be out there, not in this classroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that is a far cry from London and gosh, you're, what an inspiration to just kind of let it all go and really like pick what you're, what inspires you and do it. Don't overthink it and just go for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. So tell us, you've unplugged. How do you decompress? Well, this is going to be a boring answer, but surfing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I mean, I do a bit of yoga as well, but the surfing is really the best way for me to my mind to completely switch off. It's something about when I'm on a yoga mat doing yoga, I'm still focusing on the yoga poses. And sometimes even my mind goes to that email I should have sent. And, you know, I'm supposed to be there at certain time to pick up that child or whatever. But when you're surfing, you're on a surfboard focusing on the waves and the sets of waves that are coming. And you're looking out and all you're thinking about are those waves. And so it's the most amazing thing. I think that's really what is so amazing about it is, you know, you've spent 20 minutes out there or an hour or whatever it is, and you come back in and you've done nothing. Like your mind has not been actually thinking. It's so, so amazing. Yeah. yeah. So did you, can you believe you waited as long as you did to, to start surfing now that you know how much you yeah. love it? <laughs> I mean, I'm just so thankful that I finally, fig- you know, yeah. figured it out yeah. and, and that I have the rest of my life to, to do it, you know. Such an optimistic statement. Sure. (laughs) What is something people would be surprised to know about you? Well, I think this is a tricky question. I think people often assume that we're really religious. I don't know. I don't know if it's the lots of kids or uh, you know. I get a lot of uh, messages also that quite religious. You know, when people write to me or or whatever, and and um, we're actually not at all religious. 
we're spiritual and we're very thankful for this you know planet that we have and for the lives that we have and you know the connection to to life and to death but we're not you know we don't we don't go to a church every sunday and yeah we're we're not okay who are three people you love to follow on instagram I love following my family and my sister and brothers and friends. And I think that's kind of the beauty of Instagram is that it keeps you connected no matter how far away you are. But I, there's a few inspiring women who I'm not, you know, personally that close with, but that I really enjoy. So there's Erin Boyle. Her Instagram is read tea leaves. I think she has a blog called reading my tea leaves and she's based in New York. And I just, find her lifestyle really interesting and she's quite politically active and often does a lot for charity and I really like what she does. I also like there's a woman called Jessica Reed Krauss who lives in California and she also she has four kids and they're quite a surfy family as well and they recently bought a house and are renovating it themselves and that's quite inspiring just seeing what they're doing with their home and the lifestyle they have. And then there's Amanda Waters, her Instagram Mama Waters and and I just she's I just find her just a really beautiful person and mom. And she has, you know, again, it's quite a simple, wholesome family life and she has a beautiful home and all those things find quite inspiring. Do you have a book you currently cannot put down? Actually, not, not now, not right now. I just, I'm sitting in my bedroom. I just looked at my bedside table and it's empty. (laughs) (laughs) Not right now, actually, which is a reminder that I I should go. You need to get on it. (laughs) Well, we moved into this house. We packed up our bookshelves and packed all the books up and I haven't actually unpacked the, the boxes of books. So yeah, I need to go down. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you must be too busy surfing. Yeah. What is your favorite beverage of choice, both in the AM and PM? In the morning, I my Michael makes a really yummy coffee. Uh, you, it's the Australian word is a flat white. It's sort of a creamy cappuccino. That's what we drink in the morning. And then in the evening, a glass of red wine. What city has you shedding a tear when you have to leave? Definitely Seattle, just because that's where my family is. And, you know, it's always sad to leave them. And every time we do leave, it's you know it's a long time before you'll see them again and definitely sad every time I leave there. What is your current Netflix addiction? I've actually never seen Netflix. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have a television and I haven't watched a pro- TV program or a movie in I don't know how long. Oh my gosh, you're, that's, you're singing my love language. <laughs> you, um, but you don't have owned a TV. Oh my goodness. No, we haven't owned a TV in years. And, and I don't know, I, we grew up with, we had a TV, but we lived so far off the kind of grid that you didn't have any cable. So you could only just use, you know, watch the, you know, VHS movies. So it's just not, I, it's just really sitting in front of a television is not my, something I've ever done or I just, I, I just, I'm not actually comfortable doing it. I find that there's just too many things I should be doing. <laughs> Do you have a favorite beauty product that's found in your bag at all times? So chapstick is something I can't live without. I like that Burt's Bees chapstick. Oh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> That I can't live without. And also sun cream because that's just a necessity here. So I can't, I, that's always in the car or in the beach bag or whatever, just because we, we need it always. Who would you love to have coffee with? I'd just be quite happy to have coffee with my girlfriends. 
like I said, I'm not, I, these kind of questions are probably people would answer, you know, some celebrity or some actress or someone like not that. I, I can't think of, of anybody because I'm just so out of the loop. I mean, I guess, you know, I guess. Well, no, I would say that means you have very lucky, you have some great friendships. Yeah, That's I do have some means. great friendships. Actually, if I, if I had to choose someone who I didn't know personally, who I could have coffee with, it would be Ina Mae Gaskin. And she's this really beautiful midwife from, I think from Virginia or somewhere in America. And she wrote these books, The Natural Guide to Childbirth. And I just find her so inspiring. So it'd be quite fun to have coffee with her. What meal would you choose as your last meal? I'd make Michael make a really yummy pumpkin curry or some Sri Lankan spicy Oh, yum. Dish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, what is the last thing you Googled? Yesterday at dinner, it was Marla's birthday and we're all sitting there with a bunch of friends and someone said something about me looking like Jessica Biel. And <gasps> you do. That's right. Did you have to look up to see who we she is? We had to Google who she was. <laughs> so, so we Googled her and found out, yeah, what she looks do you, like. Do you, look, do you feel like you do look like her? Resemble? I sort of see it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Oh my gosh, that's so true with your bangs and your bone structure. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, last question. What is the greatest life advice you've ever received? I think in high school, I remember my mom handing me a book. This is so cheesy. Now I can't even remember who writes this book, but it was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Oh, yes, and, I've read that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something that, you know, I don't even know what the book said. I can't remember. But obviously, just the title itself is quite telling. And, you know, I think it's something that, it's taken me a long time actually to, to learn and, and um, especially when it comes to just myself and kind of, you know, I, I think it's an oldest child thing too, is I'm always looking to, I want people to always approve of what I'm doing and to like me and to think that I'm doing something good and clever. And, you know, that's an oldest child mm -hmm. thing to do. And it's taken me a long time, but I, I think I'm, I'm really now in a place where I just am really doing what makes me happy and I just don't care what other people think. And I've just learned to not sweat the small stuff in that way. And I think that's really mm -hmm. helped me be so much happier, you know, to just kind of let those things go. And what a valuable lesson to you to pass off to your kids. I mean, yeah. I think that the sooner yeah. they learn that, obviously that, you know, much healthier they're going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well-rounded. So yeah. that's a good one. All right, Courtney. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you. And I think both I can speak for Tedra that your life is amazing in so many different ways. And we're just so glad that you're a guest on our show. And before we hang up, I want you to tell our listeners where we can find you. Yeah. So, on social media and online and all that good stuff. So I'm on Instagram just with my name, Courtney Adamo. And then we have Baby Chino, which is babychinokids.com. And Baby Chino also has an Instagram, which is at babychinokids. Yeah, that's where you can find me online. All right. Well, it's, again, been a pleasure. And um, we can't wait to continue following you and hopefully catch up with you again after you write a few books. Mm. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> the pressure's on. <laughs> I've said it out loud now. <laughs> yes, you did. It's out there. You put it out there. <laughs> Oh, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I'm just flattered to be able to, to talk with you girls. Wonderful. Well, have a great time with your family today. I'm sure that will include some surfing and we'll <laughs> talk to you soon. Thanks very much.
All right, Tedra. So with the holidays coming up, let's talk about some of our favorite traditions. Give me like okay. your top favorite that you have had for a long time or just adopted over the last couple of years. Okay. So this one we've had as our family, we've done it, I mean, at least 20 years. Basically Christmas Eve, we all meet for lunch somewhere early, like an 11 a.m. early lunch. And then we draw names, everyone in our family. And then we have usually about two hours to go and buy a surprise gift for that person. And my dad is sweet to fund this whole thing. So he gives us all like a little bit of money. And and then we draw names and we go running around town for a couple hours, finding a gift for that person that you drew for. And then you come home and it's basically sort of like a white elephant. Well, in the sense, not a white elephant, but it's a surprise to the person who obviously didn't know who drew you. Yeah, we come home. There's always a blanket in the middle of the living room. We come in, we put our gifts, wrapped gifts under the blanket, and then we wait for everyone to get there. And then we open them. That's so fun. So I participated in that years ago. Do you remember? No, I forgot. Yes, yes. I mean, we were probably, I don't even know, maybe middle school? No, it's high school. Okay. Well, it was a, it was a long, long time ago. And I remember I got your sister's husband and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like hard, it was, I know, but it was so fun. I thought, gosh, I want to do that with my family. I had like the best time and it's a fun way to spend Christmas Eve. It is. And you, t- that- and you buy something that, you know, is special and meaningful, I think. Yeah. Really and then cool. we come home and after, so we'll open the gifts and then my mom buys Christmas pajamas for us every single year. So we all have one present to open from the exchange. And then we have one present to open for my mom, that's the pajamas. And then we open our stockings later that night. So that's sort of our Christmas Eve day and we've done it forever. That is really fun. It's mm-hmm. a good tradition to keep going. Yeah. Okay. What about you? So mine is a newly adopted one. A few years ago, our neighbor gave us this tiny little bag of like Ziploc bag, not Ziploc, but that size of toffee that she made. And literally it was the best tasting thing I've ever had. And it was gone. I mean, my kids were hiding it because they didn't want anyone to eat it, but it was so good. Anyone that's ever had it, it's just, I mean, you cannot keep it out of your mouth. So last year, and she has given it to us every year. So last year I called her and I said, Cynthia, I really want to make this toffee. And I had a question about some, the chocolate I think she used. And she goes, oh no, Julie, you cannot. I was planning on making it all on my own. And she's like, oh no, you can't do this. I'm coming to your house. And literally, I think she was there the next morning with her old school, not crock pot, but you know, one of those electric kind of fryers, not Uh fryers, but warmers. And we spent the afternoon making toffee. And my kids have talked about it. We talk about it all year. So Starting last year, we're going to start making it every year and then give it out to all of our friends and family. Mm. Well, I can attest to our toffee. It. Oh, it's it is so good. Look, now it's going to be our toffee. It's my toffee now. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Cynthia. <laughs> okay, well, you're going to have to, we'll have to post about that toffee on the website. Oh, for sure. So Cynthia's out. Cynthia's out. Yes. And we're going to share it with the world. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah, well, I don't think she'll mind. Maybe I'll give her a little credit somewhere. Anyway, we want to thank you today for listening. And if you like the show, we would love for you to head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. You can find us at wegettoknow.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and on social media at We Get to Know. Head over to Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and get your opinions on guests and show ideas. Our music is provided by the talented Blake Atwell of Studio 1916. Until next time, take care as we continue to get to know all of our favorite people.